Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Suarez. I'm a music journalist and critic, and I write a twice-weekly hip-hop newsletter called Cabbages, which you can subscribe to for free at cabbageshiphop.com. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, music industry insider Jeffrey Lachlan. It's season four of the podcast, and Jeff and I are engaged in bad movie battle. We're discussing cinematic flops, cult calamities, and all-around stinkers, trading off every episode to pick disreputable films and with great guests joining us along the way. Today, we'll be talking about Hot to Trot, the 1988 horse comedy that the Washington Post called, quote, an unbridled disaster. Oh, boy. We'll get to the show in just a minute. But please, if you're listening and you haven't done this already, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. If you rate the show five stars, that would be even better. And if you do all that and write a review, well, we'd appreciate it. Thank you. so excited to introduce our guest for today's show. Joining us now is Lando Chill. Currently based in Los Angeles, the Chicago native has put out a number of notable rap albums, including For Mark, Your Son, and Black Ego. His latest project is called If I'm Being Honest, available on Bandcamp and wherever music is streamed or sold. Hello and welcome. Yo, what's up, y'all? It is a pleasure to have you. Lando, it's a pleasure. Uh, As somebody who has enjoyed your work and I saw you when you toured for Black Ego so I got to see your stage presence as well and it was such a thrill that you agreed to talk to us about what Bobcat Goldthwait calls that fucking horse movie. That's fucking uh, first off thank you for having me I really appreciate y'all letting me grace y'all's pod um what the fuck Okay. Okay. So fair. fair, fair. Oh, all right. I, it. You know. Um. The craziest thing that happened to me, right, was when I started the movie. Mm-hmm. Um. And I heard uh, Homeboy's voice. Um. So John uh, Candy. So John Candy. John Candy. Yeah. No. 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 Not Candy. Oh. Um, Fred. Oh, Bobcat's voice. Fred. Ooh. Fred. And I heard his voice. You know what? What it? What it took me back to? It took me back to Hercules. Right. Exactly. Because he was he was a big uh, a big demon boy, the uh, the pain. Uh, the pain. blue guy, pain, yeah. pain. And, and I was like, oh, my God, like I've heard this man before. Where the fuck have I heard this? So I had to look it up um, and I was like, oh, my God, he was in Hercules. And then the the more the movie went on, the more I just kept seeing him as an animated version uh, of a of a fat blue demon. And I was just like, damn, I can't get it out of my head. But it's so fitting because it's it that this movie is a cartoon. Yeah, it is essentially a cartoon. It from a from a big blow up doll to fucking <laughs> horse fly big, big horse blow up doll. Yeah, yeah. To a um, uh, literally the first part of the movie, they're 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 getting it on and mm-hmm. they're down there chilling watching. Yep. And then Frey walks in on his father-in-law or fought yeah getting it on i'm like oh well okay now this is the kind of movie what wait the, hold on the, the start of it when homeboy said ah oh, son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh it's gonna be that movie oh shit okay oh, man. okay okay yeah i got so you quick quickly though i, I don't want to gloss over the the vo intro which made no sense and was never brought up again oh the definition of horse basically yeah, yeah, where they define a horse, they go through the history of talking horses, just so we have a believability scale, I guess. But the whole scene, the whole first like 40 seconds, because it's not very long, is essentially to slam Bobcat Goldthwait's looks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Take just a look to roast my boy, Bobcat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> look at this human. And then they're like, now we'll have somebody step in shit so you know what's going on and we are off. Let's go. Yeah. Son of a bitch. <laughs> The first instance of stepping in horse shit occurs less than a minute after the opening credits. I clocked it at okay. two minutes and 54 seconds. So less than three minutes into the total movie, which includes that intro of, of Don the horse uh, introducing what, uh, what a horse is, um, <laughs> which again, why? But then there's that 
like that you this tone is set right there and that's like uh, something that that jeff and i because we've rewatched, we watched this twice we watched the movies twice for this show and okay. i actually watched this movie as a kid uh, you know, when I, back in like 1989 or 1990, whenever oh. it ended up on basic cable, well, I'm sure we'll get to that in a moment. But when I watched that scene the second time in this rewatch, I didn't realize that they pan down to the shit before mm-hmm. he steps into it. Like they have a whole conversation about a funeral that is about to happen or while the camera just focuses in laser sharp on a gigantic pile of horse shit. This is the introduction to our characters. Like that's a decision that that's that a cinematographer or director made is that like we're going to pan the camera down away from our film's villains mm-hmm. who are just being introduced and just point down at shit. We don't even know why these people are bad yet. We don't even have a sense of like what- I wonder if they had a different shot of the two villains talking. Mm. And they were like, you know what? Let's go with the shit. <laughs> Was shit. that an editing choice? yeah i mean i think it's a brilliant one honestly i think like like you said it sets the tone for the whole movie but in the end right like the horse wins in the end spoiler like, alert for anybody listening if you haven't listened yet if you watch the movie the horse wins please <laughs> also the horse can talk you should yep. know right the the, the 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 horse eavesdrops is what the horse does <laughs> It does. I was like, I remember read the synopsis like, oh, oh, day trading horse. I guess a smart ass horse. This horse just eavesdrops. He's he never up. good. In fact, the only stuff. the only thing that he like ever really thinks up on his own is the is the Indio oats, and it poisons him and kills Fred's career. That's what I'm saying. So he's he, not actually a very good stock picking horse. Terrible stock picking horse. He picked coffee. It did well enough to where uh, you know the boss. The evil, the evil doing boss uh, oh. was was upset that coffee used to be shit and now it's not shit. The way that this movie was framed of like a horse that picks stock tips, obviously this inverse of sort of like picking horses to win right. a race. It's an inverse right. of that. But when they were trying to explain this movie to an audience for marketing purposes, they didn't really know what this movie was. Is this a movie about a racehorse? Is this a movie about a stock picking horse? Is this movie about a magical horse? Like, there's... I have there's... answers to all three questions. And? And it's yes. Yes. Yes to all? It's all three. Whether or not he was good at picking stocks doesn't matter. He did pick stocks. I watched this movie uh, when I... My second watch, my wife watched as well. She declined to be on this show for good reason. And... <laughs> but she said, while we're watching, she's like, why is everybody fucking in that stable? Yeah, Why yo, is that the yo. place? It's a big deal. It's the country club, right? It's the it's the it's the it's the forbidden, it's the forbidden place. It's like it's a, and it's supposed to be the one place where like people don't go to like spill, uh, to, to to eavesdrop, right? But I mean, I feel like it's such an interesting long metaphor to, to mm-hmm. me, especially having a race at the end. The whole thing, it, it to me uh, feels like life is a race. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You know life is a race and dad uh, horse was like you just gotta enjoy it you have to you have to be serious but you gotta, you gotta enjoy it because it's not i'm i'm dying like mm. yeah you gotta enjoy it this movie has an alarming for for it being a movie about a talking horse which it is and rated pg it's a horse movie uh and it having an animal party in it yeah uh, there's a a sense also that there's like a weird depth to this movie. Like this movie believes in reincarnation and is like, wears it on its sleeve, which is weird. <laughs> of all the movies in the world to explore reincarnation, honestly, Hot to Trot, I didn't think would be it. But the dad horse dies. Burgess Meredith, who 100% decided to go uncredited, even though he was a major part of the film. Yeah, he is not credited to this movie. He's not credited all. for you. Interesting. Movie, but it's him. It's definitely him. The horsefly puppet gets credited. He does not. Right. Wow. <laughs> so oh, that's the that's that's the equivalent of like not wanting like your name on a sync song. Right, exactly. Right. Uh let me just they did a lot of weird things with names in this too. So like if you look at the posters for the film at the time, it was like Bobcat Goldthwaite had been making movies 
for years, mostly in ensemble versions. So he had been in Police Academy 2, 3, and 4 as a notable character, uh, Zed. And that's how I first kind of knew him as a kid was I watched these Police Academy movies. I was too young to watch them, but they were sophomoric. And so they appealed to my, my, my kid brain. But then it was also he did Burglar with Whoopi Goldberg, which he was more like the friend in that movie. So there was this like more of like, okay, well, he can hang in like a big ensemble and he can hang in something that's a bit smaller and tighter around a bigger star. But when they gave him his own movie, he dropped the cat and he was went from Bobcat Goldthwait to Bob Goldthwait on the cover. Mm. Like, this is my serious turn. Oh, I didn't know that. And it was like Bob Goldthwait, Dabney Coleman, and Don the Horse. And it's just, there's something so absurd about just like, why then did they decide that Bob Cat, which he was known for, both as a stand-up comic and from these movies that he'd done, that now was the time to drop the cat from it because now he's doing a serious horse movie. This movie's so, so, so weird in that like, Like, the people that were in it hate the movie. Like truly hate the film. They won't talk. They don't like talking about it. They don't like to like be pressed on it. You know, Gary sent over, yeah, Gary sent over an interview that Bobcat Goldthwait did where he gets like audibly very upset about having to answer questions about Hot to Trot. Wow. And Virginia Madsen's on record as being like, I don't ever want to talk about this fucking movie again. There's an anecdote. John Candy died. (laughs) So we don't even (laughs) get to know what he did. But John Candy didn't, this movie didn't kill John Candy. Let's be clear. No, it's true. That was was Harry Crumb. It could have. And then after this movie, he does Uncle Buck. Another slammer. So it's not like he like that was like the end of his career was this film. Like this film was like an afterthought for him. <laughs> like it's just there. The fact that it's credited on the poster as Don the Horse says everything as opposed to John Candy. He ignored the script, if I remember reading correctly. No way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He came in and was like, I won't be doing this. They may have had somebody else doing the horse, and the horse did like they didn't like it or something. I don't remember exactly, but I can Candy tell you was rushed in. Originally, the horse was voiced by the actor Elliot Gould. Yes. Okay. Who is has done comedic roles and has done serious roles, but it's not not necessarily the right person you think for this. And the point was, he wasn't funny. In it. They had a script. He read the lines. It tested poorly in screen tests. Mm. So they scrapped his stuff. They had, they had somebody come in and rewrite the lines to be funnier and punchier. And then they gave the part for the voiceover to John Candy. So John Candy was never on set with any of these people. Right. Okay. And then he comes on and he does the lines and he decides, uh, I'm not going to do these lines. I'm going to do my funny. own. I'm going to do my own thing, which is why I think he spends so much of the time laughing at his own jokes in character. Right. Mm-hmm. He's constantly bring laughing that at himself <laughs> because it's just like, this is his stuff. Not somebody gave this to him. That, uh, that one line he had where it was like, Oh, it's the same when I when I when I get in the swimming pool. I yes. was like, yes. And 1960s ass joke. It's so old. Yeah, whiskers on that gag. Right. I'm like, man, who 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 wrote this? Is it you, Nobody. John? Was it you? John improv. Candy also like it, one of my favorite lines in it was obviously improv where they first walk into Fred Cheney's apartment. Very yes. totally. Want 80s something apartment. to drink? Yeah. yeah. They say, "Do you want something to drink?" And Don the horse goes, "Something diet, I'd like." Yes. Uh, right. <laughs> something diet. It was so good. It's the second, maybe the second best line in the movie. I I, I love that that first intro where he was like, "Ah, son of a bitch." And that is a great line. <laughs> that, the chicken yeah. shit lines are great too. Oh, those the chicken shit come later. Yeah, those are great. The whole chicken shit conversation is fantastic. Outside in the stable. You calling me a chicken shit? <laughs> Don't be a chicken shit, honey. Yo, why do uh, why do Don the Horse and Dabney Coleman have the same teeth? That's a really good question. And why does why does he laugh like a donkey at some point? Yeah, the yeah he that horse. I don't know who they got to do the horse movement mouth, but like I think John Candy was probably trying to like imitate it and did and definitely mm-hmm. sound donkey like. In Bobcat Goldthwait's uh, recollection, the people who were like managing the horse were not nice to the horse. They were making the horse do things that horses don't do. All that mouth stuff is not stuff that horses do. Right. Yeah. So what ended up happening is the horse started to, was disliked Bobcat Goldthwait 
because every time he saw a Bobcat, he knew they were going to make him do things. Now, Bobcat didn't do anything to him, but seeing right. him, he knew, oh, shit, they're going to make me like do this. They're going to like yeah. hit me so that I make my mouth move. They're going to like force me to do these things. And like, I think John Candy tapped into some of that when he said, when he got into his little riff about Mr. Ed um, in the yeah. in the trailer where he's just like, you know, you know, you, you, you your ass will move too. Someone. You talk too if someone should have carried up your ass. And it's yeah. like, yeah, of your butt. Sorry, he said butt, because again, this is a PG movie where you can't say a- ass, but you can talk, you can make, you know, Playboy magazine 1963 jokes about horse penises. Yeah. That's permissible. That's- Insight, right you know it's very interesting how um, a bad movie can change your perception about life itself mm. uh, when you're a part of it right like us us it's just like a stop in the road right but for bobcat like he saw to him you know things that changed maybe his perspective on hollywood his perspective on like you know animals on set um and i think it's He's a hundred percent on record as saying without this movie, like if this movie does well and I become a star, I don't make like weird, like weirdo underground movies. Like I do now, I'm probably done with stand up for a long, long time. Like this changed the arc of my career, whether or not like it was good. You know what I mean? Yeah. He said that after this film was, it's a lot of things, but he knew he was in a bad movie. Like there's no, yeah. He went to Hawaii for two weeks after the movie came out because he didn't want to talk to the press about the movie. He knew it was going to be awful. <laughs> so he just escaped. He just left town. Up and like, left town. I'm unfindable in the non-cell phone era. But one of the things that he took away from this film was that if he ever wanted to do a movie and have any level of control, he had to become a director. He had to be yeah. a writer director. He could not do it as an actor. As an actor, he was always going to be beholden to other people in these things, to directors, to to the scripts, to the producers. He had to do it his own way. And that led to things like in 1991, he did Shakes the Clown, which later on is considered this cult movie and has a lot of, you know, a lot of retrospective acclaim. But at the time, it was just like everyone was just like Bobcat Goldweight makes bad movies. And mm-hmm. this is a bad thing. But now it's interesting what happens with time and you start thinking about legacy. So he can look back on this movie and be like, this is terrible. And I did this movie for the money. Cause I think in someone's mind, and this, this is something we can get into because this happens a lot uh, when we talk about bad movies on this show is yeah. that there is an understanding. They know they're in a bad movie and they're making the decision for reasons. And what ends up happening is that they're like, well, it's a bad movie, but it's for kids because the PG rating suggests that you're watching a movie that's like kind of right. for kids and families. And maybe there's a few potty jokes in there, but like you don't actually like. There's some jokes for mom and dad. Sure. Well, but the thing is, but that's, but that's what happens. Ultimately. But I'm with you. Yeah. But what happens ultimately like is that it gets muddled in the process and right. you get a film that doesn't make sense. And this happens But I don't know if they're right. I don't know that they're right that this is a terrible movie. I laughed a bunch of times. It was like kind of stupid, mindless fun. <laughs> yeah, but it did have like dated humor that like I could see. I, I remember looking up the scores for the movie, right? And like, you know, mm-hmm. back then there wasn't like the composite score um, that we have now. I don't think it necessarily necessarily reflects um, what everybody thought back then, but like it was 20 out of 100, right? Okay, yeah. As far as, far as Metacritic and mm-hmm. um, you go down and none of the none of the critiques are um, modern. They're more, they're more along the lines of, you know, this movie's whatever, this movie's, it's not funny or blah, blah. But then there were instances where like, there, there was social commentary that I liked, but it was a little South Park-esque, right? To where uh-huh. if you weren't a discerning person or if you didn't use your critical, critically, your critical thinking skills, you, it would just go over your head. I'll, I'll make a, a reference to, um, he was on uh, the horse. Dom was on the phone with uh, the flower person. Yeah, and and he was and and somebody was doing a really terrible Japanese accent over the terrible. phone. So yeah, uh, you know, like I, the the a lot of the help 
being on the ranch either or at the fancy apartment being um, uh, brown or, you know, or, or perceived Mexican, Latin American or South American, you know, it, but, mm-hmm. but, they, but they were brown help. Like I, the, the funniest um, kind of moment where uh, you had like a, a little bit of a racial joke, but not was the blind guitarist. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, so I guess in short, it's not a terrible movie if though it if those weren't there but the but the those appearances of just dated humor that you know won't necessarily maybe make me cringe but can definitely make people who are are sensitive to that or people who just want to be sensitive and Mm -hmm. and and know that the shit's a joke but they just want to be sensitive um it would it would bother them and then they would deem it a little worse than terrible it would just be like a bad a bad movie. I wanted to be a, a good bad movie, um, and there were instances where I did laugh. But I think you have to suspend your belief, right? You have to suspend belief in the fact that all right, this horse not only is talking, but like the words don't match up, and Bobcat is doing like his his weird voice, and everybody's fucking in a stable, mm-hmm. you know. I won't say it wasn't funny at parts. I I, I will I will say that a thousand percent. Um, that blow up doll horse fucking shit. That was that had me, that had me going. He was just there in the side laughing. I'm just like, man, this man, he know he a goddamn mess, a mess oh, yeah. and a half, a <laughs> mess. It's the problem with movies like this where it's like when you watch them in retrospect, when we watch them now, all these years later, yeah. there's things you could get away with in a movie back then that you don't now, and I think for good reason. It's like, look. Being Latino, I watch that movie and I go like, "Why the fuck does the does the housekeeper have a mustache?" Yeah, you're playing yeah. that for a joke. You're playing that for yep. a joke right there. Okay, yep. like why is that the case? Like the florist mm-hmm. bit, as you describe, is another one where like again, I'm watching my wife and she's like, "What is with this accent?" And the kind of Asiany accent, like the Asiany, like it's not Asian, like an Asiany mm-hmm. accent. This sort of is used so much in the movies in this period that it's just like so frustrating. I was relieved when the blues man was not played for anything other than the stereotype of a blind bluesman. Like yeah. I was relieved when the joke was that he discovers that the horse is not just a hairy Italian boy and goes, what the, that part's that. I part mean, comparative to comparative to the movies of that era, there's less were at least bit lightweight and small lightweight shit. It really yeah. was. And except I, for one, except for I would one. like not to make any excuses for this. Like it's unnecessary and ridiculous, but we have watched a bunch of bad movies and we have had to apologize a lot more. Because <laughs> the, the one thing with like that you can look at that and you can say, well, this was that time period. And mm-hmm. was there enough stuff that I laughed about in the film that you can say, you can basically put an asterisk next to it and say, if you, this stuff is worth calling out and saying like, that's right. shit. And that's going to make, make, like we can talk about like whether or not like, wokeness makes somebody feel away or express away now but there had to be sure. people who watched that movie and like and said like this is how they're portraying me in this that fucking sucks right like representation yeah. on screen and the thing that gets me because there's one part of this movie that i didn't notice when i watched as a kid and i didn't notice the first time we watched it because i was very high the first time we watched it you had uh, to point it out to me i was like whoa but in the rewatch that i did the second adult watch that i did there is the scene when they show up at the racetrack um, mm. and there, you know, the horse goes and talks to Satin Doll. And also there's the other horse there. I forget his name. Uh, Dabney Coleman's horse that's running the race. And he's like, uh, he's Kensington like, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And he's Great just like, Kensington or something. yeah. And so he's just sort of like hurling invective at that other, at the other horse, at this, at this male horse. And right before like a scene cuts he uses the f word and he like he uses a homophobic slur right there and it was like so so quick to the cut in terms of how the scenes were cut that i didn't notice it when i was stoned Uh but when i was watching it and very maybe a bit more aware of some of the other flaws in this film i said well what the fuck and my wife as well she's just like what did you just hear that did, did they just did he just yeah. say that and for no reason and like and that's not like and like and that's that's where you're like okay john candy thought that was funny why did john mm-hmm. candy think that was funny i mean 
there yeah. are answers to that question. They all suck. Yeah. They're all really shitty answers. Um, you know, right. So certainly, I mean, certainly that, that stuff is there. And I think Lando is correct. And like that stuff ruins of an okay time. We did a whole season of stoner movies and yeah. I was terrified to watch any old Cheech and Chong films because I love Cheech yeah. and Chong films. Uh, <clears throat> as a kid, I watched uh, Smoking Now. You can see I, I love fucking Cheech and Chong films. When I was a kid, <laughs> I loved Cheech and Chong films. I loved the comedy albums. And I realized like, uh, you know, there was something that insulated them in a bit enough that's like, well, you have a Latino character, you have a Latino actor, and you have a half Asian character. And that gives them some level of insulation to some of the jokes they can make. But then there's still things that they do that you go, oh, fuck. Or is there going to be a blackface thing? Is there going to be a homophobic oh, joke? Is the butt of the humor going to be about Asians? Like, and then you start to like worry about it as an uh, worried about it as an adult now and go like, did this thing that I love as a kid reinforce stereotypes the exact same way that normalizes these things and makes sure. people get defensive about it from a comedy standpoint and say like, well, we should be able to say anything. It's like, no, that's fucked up. And that's not actually really like, that was funny. Why? Like yeah. asking why that was funny. So I think you bring up a valid, you bring up a number of valid points, but like the valid point is that even if you go, I laughed at a movie like this. Now you were saying it in spite of, or keeping in mind that yeah, there's some fucked up shit in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I yeah. I wouldn't want to be a woman and watch this movie either, too. No. You know, um, not saying it was like, you know, the most sexist thing I'd watch at all. It was just like not the best portrayal of, of like, you know, you you look for, you know, characters that have a little bit of depth. Right. And right. a lot of the characters didn't have depth. I mean, you know, of course, you know, they're not supposed to in a movie like that. But uh, there's a little bit of range. Right. When you had uh, uh, obviously like Don and and uh bob right a little yeah, we, bit of we knew don's whole family we didn't know anybody else's family at all no no um you had a little bit of backstory about you know um bobcat's character uh and just the fact that but there was never explained why the way he was the way he was he, he was just like an idiot all right cool well, <laughs> you know um but at the end i was kind of like all right they all get the girls you know the white horse that doesn't talk cool bet and then the secretary who turned who you know who protested and i was like all right well she was about it but what other like like women were just the butt of a joke yeah you know especially you know and it you're and very used in a way of like like the the lady who was faded and was looking at the horse dick and like you know well if you if you take into account the fact that like this is one of the reasons why filming at the country club was so popular mm. was because you could get away with doing this stuff under the guys that like rich people do this shit. Mm. They're bad to their women. They cheat on each other. They're the worst people. Yeah. And like, it gives you kind of carte blanche. You go back and watch like a Caddyshack. It gives you carte blanche to just celebrate bad behavior and joke about bad behavior. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, that's basically what they did. They were like, this rich dude doesn't really care about anything other than money. So he can just be a total dick the whole time. I, I was, um, I have this, not like I have this theory, but um, uh, I, I obviously, I'm born in Chicago. Um, if if y'all haven't ever met me, uh, I I look black as hell because I am. Um, so my upbringing, as well as uh, what I was introduced to by uh, the environment around me my sense my idea of humor was splintered between like british dry humor mm. and then like black comedy right and so like anything that wasn't that um not that it went over my head but i maybe i was a little elitist in the fact that i saw it as lowbrow or just it, it just was some slapstick shit it was pretty mm -hmm. much like the three stooges type and i was right and, or you know i never thought that roadrunner bugs bunny type Elmer Fudd shooting. I never thought that was funny as well. I, I just wasn't a wasn't a fan. And so when I got older um, and I hit a certain age and I would realize, you know, what my friends looked like and the kind of comedy they 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 liked and uh, what my other friends looked like who might have been brown or black in the comedy they liked. Mm. Um, it was interesting to see 
how some of them married together, um, maybe in like white chicks, right? Or uh, sure. and and then, and then how some some would man, um, white um, chicks, right? Or or, or how I some... had nightmares for weeks after watching that, film. bro. And, and but it's 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 such it's such a marrying of like white and black yes. comedy where like I feel like white comedy is such like slapstick. It's either like gross as right. fuck or like just saying something outlandish, um, and then like black comedy. Same thing, but in in like uh, uh, inverse way, right? It's like mm. I'm gonna say something like rebellious as fuck, or I'm gonna have like a um, a, a specific like like family uh, like orientated value, like it, it like 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 death at a funeral, right? Yeah, like, like sure. Like that that yeah. to me is like quintessential black comedy. Throw all that Tyler Perry shit out the window. Like that's a black comedy to me. Sure. Um, and then you have the from that to like Friday, right. you know, or like how high, you know. Um, when I guess notice this difference, um, like Dumb and Dumber would be like white comedy to me, right? Or like mm-hmm. uh, like uh, uh, Sausage Fest. Man, sure. my fucking friend, he was, he was like, yo, let's go see this movie. Cause I think this is, this was then just came out. And I'm oh yeah, like Seth Rogen, uh, not Seth Rogen, uh, um, uh, uh, High Boy, uh, Jonah Hill and, uh, uh, was it Seth Rogen? Yeah, Seth Rogen, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, they, they, they got track record. And like at the end of the movie, like I'm seeing these fucking pretty much fruit and food fuck each other in a big orgy. I'm wondering like what happened to like some of the shit we were talking about, about Israeli and Palestinian, like um, uh, yeah. uh, uh, like like some of the stuff that was like interesting. The Lavash, was, the talking yeah, Lavash, was, right. Yes, it's, I'm like, I didn't we see know this. this. So this is and a wild conversation for me. Oh, you right. haven't seen Sausage Party? That's good to I've know. Never seen Sausage. That's good to you, know. It's good to know. Uh, yeah, no, that that that's a movie. Uh, oh, I'm no. sorry, I'm spoiling a little bit of it, but no, like, no, please, it's worth it. You're kind of not because it's so outlandish. It, no, it, and it's and it it like made me physically ill, like mm. in the theater, like, and we saw in theaters, in theaters, we paid money to go watch that fucking movie, yeah. and I'm um, I'm like damn like this was such a fucking letdown in ways or which it's like you do not have to bring like like some shit is just it's like it you just doesn't add to it. it it doesn't add to the comedy or maybe that's just not the type of comedy i liked and so bringing it back to hot to trot it was like on just on the edge uh of, of like being like absurdist like white comedy to the point where it was like unenjoyable uh, unenjoyable but like shifted so ever like like so slight and i don't know if that this was the director or any of their like um uh if this was like their part of the plan but mm-hmm. like the what like we talked about earlier how um there is like an underlying um a discussion about like uh class between like the help and uh right. the yeah. folk uh, how it was like a parody about them and their life and how how simple or easy it could be attained because everybody's bullshitting you know, like he can this this man can be so successful to get shit from a fucking horse like like and y'all can't even keep up. And 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 the fact that like you have to physically challenge somebody to a race, to a competition, something that literally like this movie is about in, in the end, like life, life is a race um, is the most kind of like American pseudo kind of white thing to kind of see. And it was it, it, and it made so much sense and it was so apropos and and at least we got a good ending right of of like these characters who were you know all right characters to a certain extent at least got to see um some semblance of happiness because i wasn't going to see it at the end of this fucking movie so mm-hmm. there was <laughs> fair fair yeah there was there, there was respite in that but there is a certain amount of privilege that is being displayed in this film, not just on screen, but in its very existence. It's the kind of film that you go, if you're gonna, if you're gonna make categories, which I think for the purpose of this conversation makes sense, of white comedies versus black comedies, it's like I would have seen Bobcat Goldthwait stand up on HBO or whatever the same year that I'm watching Eddie Murphy and yep. Richard Pryor stand up specials and Sam Kinison and Andrew Dice Clay right. and all these things are kind of put together. And that in itself is a form of privilege right there is just kind of consuming comedy in that way. But it, like for a movie like this, it's like they can create it and say like, even if you have a good outcome like this has where it's like, well, the richest, jerkiest, worst people lose mm-hmm. and the underdog wins. 
The underdog right. is still white. The underdog is still somebody who was not only white, but got to this position where he is, despite being an actual idiot of some sort, having his mother remarry into a thing with this guy for reasons are never explained and aren't clear. Why does it not work out with Buck Henry, you know, who we see for two seconds, you know, after the blues man scene, we see him in the car singing with Buck Henry, a complete throwaway cameo. And it's just like, the idea is like, well, you can, you can, you can fail upward. You can succeed in the, in the most ludicrous way because you are this. And at the end, a horse does better than any non-white character in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down. I mean, like, and, and I honestly really attribute that person. I mean, to me, maybe just my personal taste, but like to John Candy's voice. Sure. Like, I I think like, you know, it's so iconic. If Eddie Murphy had taken the money for just like, for three days of voiceover work, which is probably all this ended up being two days or whatever. Like if Eddie Murphy had taken that. Money I mean, he was a super pro at this point. It could have been a real quick. Yeah. I'm saying he would have just banged <laughs> yeah. that out. Like, right. Like, would this, would, would that have been something that would have made sense to a white audience that the horse would succeed if it's, if the perception is that it's a black person voicing the, the horse, therefore it's a black horse. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a, I mean, you bring up a, a great point. Um, I, <laughs> well, I'm piggybacking on yours there because you're bringing up the fact that Don yeah, the horse no, wins, totally. but he's being perceived as white. So I'm just saying, like, he the is. inverse then being how audience perceived it. I mean, nobody liked this movie, which is also another side of it. But I, I guess that was going to go into my next question. Like, you have um, this audience, right? Who is this audience, and why was it marketed? How it was marketed to the point of like it not. Like it just sounds like they knew it was bad. Like it's everyone like, involved. Everyone yeah. involved knew it was bad. So we asked earlier what the horse was. Yeah. Was it magical? Was it you know? They, they give us a small little slice of history that turns into a Bobcat Goldthwait slam, which is pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they give us this slice of history, and they slide in there that there are a generation passed down of horses that are sentient and can speak like yeah. with humans, like can translate languages. I mean, he, when he rattles off his list of languages, he speaks, right. That was a really clever, weird joke to throw into that, like chasm of stupidity the penguin, where he could the like cat. speak dog. He could speak cat. He could speak pig. He could speak like, you know, he could speak like 36 languages or something like that. Which is insane. And like also human, which is, you know, a totally different complexity. And anyway. human is also human is English. Human right. is not Spanish. <laughs> he doesn't speak English. Spanish to the maid ever. He doesn't speak he doesn't speak Japanese to the person on the other end of the phone. No. He speak a human is English to him. He only speaks English. Yeah. That is <laughs> it's so it, it's such an interesting way to racialize it i mean i don't know it it's hard not to racialize animals right when mm-hmm. the only thing you have is the voice and right. with that voice you have context um and the only context you have is if you know that character or that voice actor and who he's played prior mm-hmm. um or if you've seen him in person right and obviously you've, you've seen john candy in person and it's just like especially All right, well, this was a very like personable him thing Yes. He sounded like him outside of the movies a little bit. Like he was just kind of riffing and having a good time. So then that's my question. It's like, who is this movie for? It was, if they knew it was so bad, it, it kind of confuses me because, you know, there's like people who make jokes about their bad movies, like Ryan Reynolds with Green Lantern, right? Mm-hmm. And like, sure. you, can, you can like poke fun at it. Um, there are some people, um, God, like who else? Like uh, maybe, you know, Samuel Jackson might regret, you know, sinks in a plane, you know, who, who, who the fuck knows? I mean, maybe he doesn't. Uh, I know Bruce Willis is probably regretting everything he's fucking doing now, but he's probably getting out of like tax evasion debt or the striking distance. Right he feels this way about striking distance. Striking distance. Oh, yeah? Sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whew, what a piece of shit. You know, sure. he probably so, isn't too thrilled about cop out either, but I want to answer your question because I think your question yeah, why? is answered by my, by my experience with it as a okay. kid. 
there was a category of film which Bobcat Goldthwait wasn't in a tradition of. I wouldn't use the word edgy because it doesn't, because of what edgy's connotations are now versus mm-hmm. then, but it's sort of like an edgy humor and a reverence. At the time, they definitely called it edgy. Yes, but like yeah. it's like an irreverent sort of humor at that time that was like had a crassness to it. And that appealed whether you were watching something that was PG, PG 13, or R in those days, oftentimes appealed to a very adolescent mindset, which meant that adolescent boys specifically, like myself, mm-hmm. were fascinated by these jokes about breasts and penises, were engaged at the idea that, like, oh, and this poop. is like, and like we the a talking, like as a child, you watch a lot of animated things or films yeah. where animals can speak, um, whether they're, you know, you know, in terms of like the Disney tradition, both animated and otherwise. But what ends up happening is that you get a movie like this and there's something like, oh, the horse said a naughty thing. And you're like, oh, that's the thing. So I think when they had this piece of shit that they were like, we know this is not a movie that critics are going to like. We know this is not a movie that is going to, you know, move the way, say, a police academy did, which could spawn, you know, multiple sequels. The answer is, well, just shove it in front of kids and you... The, there's three writers on this movie so like you have and i know there was at least one person who came in to do rewriting of of the horses parts and we've covered on this podcast plenty of times movies where rewrites or reshoots come into mm-hmm. play to try to save a bad movie and only ends up making it worse because it it so, so i think the answer to so the answer to you yeah. but i loved this movie when i was like nine years old because yeah. I didn't get any of the shit that I was getting. I was get catching the very overt, the horse talks and says naughty things. Right. And Bobcat Goldthwait does a funny voice. And I like that. Like, I didn't know until I was an adult. Like, that's not And Bobcat there's a giant Goldthwait's animal voice. party where the animals yeah. are yelling shit. And the animal party is funny. The, like, the dog that shows up to his door and said, I heard you from down the street. Like, Because he you- wants to kill himself because he's so lonely. Like, yeah. and suddenly you're in a big animal party and then Tim Kazarinski comes out of the elevator and a second horse that we never saw comes out of the apartment. <laughs> Where did all these animals come from? Where's the pig come from? How does how <laughs> any of these animals... The rolls and like, What's up? Party. Let's party. I was having enough trouble with that. Like, how, like how, does Don, yeah. how does Don the horse get out? How does Don the horse get around L.A.? by himself, unsupervised all this time. And then a ton of fucking other animals do. And then a ton of other animals do. Oh, he knows how to use the phone. So I think he just called people up. That's a big deal. Wild. So it makes you think there's a network of people that know Don can talk and keep the secret, which is pretty gangster for a horse to have like a secret cabal of people that will talk to it, but then won't, you know, go to other people and be like, check it out. Like how, how does this horse get to, how does he get to the parking garage where he laid out and played it's injured? a great question and how did like the first person who sees him just so happens to be like he's a giant fucking horse that happens he to must be have Bob done Gagel's recon way. gary i think he did recon he like was there's, like, a, there's a scene in the apartment in the apartment the time in this movie is total nonsense right i mean oh. there's no way to know if that was filmed over two days if we're supposed to be this is weeks months there's no training. There's like 86 montages and there's zero training montage for the horse to win. How many race. montages are in this movie? I lost count. We lost count. Yeah. We both five, lost, I lost count. count. Yeah. Well, so do you think then that this kind of like live action absurdist humor or just like just the way the movie acts, right? Do you think it just then is hard to suspend the belief that like some of this shit that happens is just like really too much of a cartoon for live action you see him in the trailer right in the beginning and he's like right. in the fucking tra- you're, you're like ah that's kind of like uh-huh, it's kind of you know that, that that can happen and then progressively throughout the movie you're just like damn this horse is doing a lot he's in weird ass places and you got him in our apartment how they get him up there you got him in an elevator damn the, who the and then you start just like all right well i guess the horses talk but like you said how the fuck did it get where the you know to the point where am i am i really supposed to be invested in this movie um past its absurdity and it was hard to be i think the answer is supposed to be 
I think when they started filming this, they wanted it to be yes. And then when they actually watched it, they realized it was no. Yeah. I think that's a hundred percent. I mean, you know, I can't guarantee you they might have known it sucked the second they walked on set and saw everybody and like, oh God. But maybe or that's read why... the script or whatever. But they I think there was a point in this process where they believed there was going to be a life in this film, and there wasn't. <laughs> there was no life. Uh... At some point, uh, our, our hero, Fred P. Cheney, almost, he doesn't like look into the camera and break the wall or anything, but he says essentially to the crowd, I owe all this to a horse. And if you think about the weight of that sentence after the movie came out, that he really does owe all this to a horse. He said that while on set, they shut down, um, they had to shut down production one day at the very beginning of the day, like first shot because the guy that was supposed to stand with the horse and let the horse poop in a bag just was like playing with something or like got distracted. And so the horse just like painted a wall with shit and like got it all over everyone. Gilbert Gottfried, everyone just got covered. with. Gilbert Gottfried was even, was he even in that scene. He just don't I'm sorry, not Gilbert Gottfried, but yeah, I do want to bring him up. I'm sorry. Uh, I meant uh, Bobcat, our boy Bobcat. So every, I'm sorry, Bob, everybody gets coded in shit for this scene. And the director apparently just looks, you know, over from this shit covered camera and he just goes, you know what? We're calling it a day. <laughs> That's a wrap. Everybody go home. We'll start tomorrow. <laughs> that would have been, that would, you could have done that in a PG, in a PG movie, but that could have been the R rated version of this. The like the R rated, like, I don't know if the cameras are on, if they didn't catch that, if that exists, Oh. I want to see it. You want to see a diarrhea horse. I want to see it like cut into the film. Nah. Look, you it starts with horse shit. Why not finish less. the joke? <laughs> finish the joke. Wow. wow. <laughs> what was the uh, uh remember when there was a little Richard video in the middle of the movie? <laughs> well, he also breaks the he also during yeah, that yeah. point he breaks, breaks he breaks the fourth, the fourth wall. wall and goes a walk bam, yes. boom to the camera he does yeah. i thought I that love was it like, so much yeah I, I was yeah i it it added to the to the absurdity right but it also yeah. like took me out a little bit totally it was a pointless a 100 pointless scene in a movie that was already like you couldn't cut it because it was already wildly short yeah it wasn't at all an hour and a half but the choice to made to make it more cartoony actually had the opposite effect where it's like, it's not enough of a cartoon in its ethos, mm. you know, in its creation, that when these cartoon moments happen, you go, well, okay, this is a cartoon. You're saying it in retrospect because you see cartoon things, but the, it doesn't sure. feel like a cartoon for yeah. a lot of parts. Until and then, the little Richard and, thing, it really Until is. the little Richard thing happens or until like, you know, suddenly he gets, when, when they're talking about Indio Oats and suddenly like a literal light bulb appears Yep. Bruise into his brain. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, that. And then the little ending of the film. Which like where, is with, there to kind of we're we're continually reminded how stupid and, and pointless Fred P. Cheney really is. For real. Like on purpose. It's not just like, oh, he's like a bumbling character. No, like with the the idea thing is there specifically for us to know. He doesn't have a lot of ideas, so this is a big deal for him. Yeah. And I mean, like he that, came to his own conclusion here, guys. Yeah, and I just it, in a movie in a story where like one of the main characters, if not the main character, is just a vessel for the story and right. nothing else. Like it just makes everything uninteresting that happens to that character or happens through that character. One hundred percent. You know, it's just like, oh, you know, the horse like calls him and gives him the stock tip, and like he as much An as overheard you, stock tip, right? And as much as you <laughs> want to be happy for this guy, it's just like, how did you earn this aside from like? your mom dying and you have also for no. just, just to cover that scene completely. Bobcat Goldthwait doesn't know who calls him and gives him a, a random stock tip. Right. He just is like, that sounds like a stock. And he calls his secretary and he's like, buy it all. Let's throw all our money behind. And it. Don doesn't even use his name. 
He no. uses well, Dabney Walt. Coleman's name. Yeah. Oh. So and which I so only he tricks. Have, no, no. I think I attributed in. I either he's either saying it, Walter. He's tricking him, or John Candy fucked up. I think specifically this was like a trick. Like he was getting an like an illicit call. Oh. Like he was hearing a stock tip that he wasn't supposed to hear, and that would motivate him. Don is supposed to be easily the smartest person in the movie. Yeah. Other than other than his wise and uncredited dad. Another another question. Um, yeah. How successful do you think animal related comedies are? Because to me, uh, it's very hit or miss, and I usually misses. Um, and I and even as you know, as classic as Doctor Doolittle may sure. be, it's not a fucking funny movie per se. No. It might be like a good family film, but you know, that's how you get things like Look Who's Talking Now, where they ran yeah. out of babies to make talk. Soccer so dog, made, you know, Air but, Bud. but there's been so many movies that have come out in that, and I think the idea is that like it's not necessarily about being hit or miss in terms of that they know it is for an audience whose brains have not fully developed yet, and they're and, it, and they're parents will pay money for them to like hang out in a place for a couple hours. And it's cheaper than trying to, and it's cheaper than, than getting those same, some of the same actors to be in those scenes versus the voice. I think if you're going to do an animal talking movie, I think you just have to do, if you want it to be any good, you have to do animation because like animals have crazy limitations to the way they can move. Yeah. And if you want something to be funny to humans, we are a very self-centered being and we want it to be more like us. Yep. We like to laugh at ourselves and ourselves almost. Madagascar, right? Totally. Yeah. And And, that's why when you have talking animals that can like bounce really high or do crazy things, that is, you know, just way more entertaining to us than this horse is like moving its lips really weird well that and personally i think there needs to be a musical aspect in order for the for the humor to stick or the humor to land and i think about madagascar right like mm-hmm. when you think about that it's like i like to move in movie you like to you know i mean like these are these are things that i, I when you see when you talk about the audience and their brain hasn't fully developed hasn't fully developed music is the one thing or a through line to that like primitive uh, minor or that undeveloped brain that will like tap in like a memory to be able to then associate some humorous characters or humorous moment with a movie that might not be like entirely good. Yeah. Don Will made a very similar point about Tom and Jerry, which was a very similar conversation to this one in a way where it was just like, boy, I was miserable. (laughs) Why are you, why did we do this to each other? There was a moment in that where he said almost an identical thing. There's lifelessness in animation unless like the voice acting is incredible you know what i mean mm-hmm. and when it's real life and it's lifeless because you've made it into a cartoon that choice is really stupid it's just a really stupid choice to make you're guaranteeing failure with like 90 percent of your audience yeah and you're relying entirely on these kids to carry the legacy of the film which did not happen no <laughs> it no. is not beloved by any stretch of the imagination it, uh, it scored a zero on rotten tomatoes even in its later years which is hard to do yeah. so but it would never give it a chance though right mm-hmm. so i think now is as good as any time to vote on this with our question uh that is I just, is this before, before before we vote i just wanted to have a couple of quotes in here and one thing that i really loved okay sure uh the steam room brief briefcase phone. I put that in my notes. Oh, that sure. A dude in a steam room brought his briefcase into the steam room first and foremost, and then opened briefcase it and the answered a phone. <laughs> Pulled out a, a corded phone and made a stock tip call or took a stop a stock call. Took in the steam room. So and how like, eighties changed the face of the movie. The phones in the movie were were fascinating to me because it was like just becoming a thing where that's funny because it's like a thing people do now one so in the car have a phone in the car one yeah. in the car yeah I'd... yeah and he just calls information to just be like i'm on a car phone i'm rich look at me i'm crazy i'm rich <laughs> it was the phones were really i thought well used because they you know they were actual sight gags that worked for me also uh wanted to mention 
we didn't really get a chance to talk about the amazingness that Burgess Meredith and Dabney Coleman brought to the film by trying when everybody else had obviously checked yeah. out. Yeah. Just wanted to shout them out for trying really hard in this movie, even though it was terrible. And then uh, the last thing we didn't talk about the that's all folks. Well, that's in the, that's the cartoon, right? The Is cartoonish like, part, but that they the literally end. looked into the camera and were like, eh, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> Which I'd really like that. Yeah. Uh, and that martini shot, right? You're all just like, damn. Yes. This, you know, you're just like, you're trying to be nice about it because everyone, like, you know, obviously, like, you know, wants to work in Hollywood again. So they're just like, yeah, man, we, we did a thing, dude. Yeah. Let's go. Woo. It's over. You know, everyone's We're walking. done with this. Like, fuck, I hope this doesn't fuck my career, you know? It's amazing how everybody's career who was of note or wasn't like in their twilight years recovered or continued and bobcat mm. goldthwaite is included in that he still got to do movies like he did scrooged after this he wasn't yeah. like blackballed he just realized that he had to make some decisions in his life to change things but nobody really suffered like michael dinner didn't like completely go away michael dinner didn't have like much of a career in movies before how to try he directed like two movies he'd done like tv he directed like two movies prior to it this was one a of bunch it, of people's sort of first forays he did like a movie with like judge reinhold before how to try mm. like which just sets the tone for these things like oh judge reinhold mm. is really hot because he was in beverly hills cop let's give him a bad movie that no one's gonna like that was oh. offbeat so then how to try happens and it fails and they don't give michael dinner any more movie work but he ends up spending the next decade or so in television right yeah. like even though this film was like, you know, nominated for multiple Razzies and like only lost because it was the same year as Mac and me. Like, it's just like, that's how fucking oh. bad this is, is that it's not the worst movie of the year oh, because Mac and me exists. Film Mac and me is. Which is, you know, which maybe one day we will talk about this, but like at the oh. end of the day, at the end of the day, Treasure. this is a movie that's written by three people who didn't right. particularly do much of note. And one of those people's name is literally Stephen Nayer. As in N E I G H E R, like you Nay. have to you have to believe that they hired him last and was just like, we know it's gonna suck. This is just gonna look funny in the credits. But it's it's not. gonna be an inside joke. It's he's in the story by. It's like this is his one of his ideas, and Ugh. this is where like we talk about suspending disbelief. It's like <laughs> I now have to suspend to the point where it's like. Outside of the world of the movie, there was a human being out there whose last name is basically Horse, and he mm. made a movie about a horse. Sure, that happened. That happened. You know, um, yesterday your mother caught Lou trying to mount a Volvo station wagon. That's a line. <laughs> that is a line in the movie. Uh, <laughs> One last little funny note mm. uh, is Danny Elfman did the music. Yes, it's true. So he's a, uh, of course, he would do the music for this. And this is like a year before Batman. This is like a year before Batman. Um, okay, I think we've we've got we've shaken off a few things, and I think we're ready to answer our our question here, which is: Is this a good bad movie? Hot to Trot is a bad bad movie. It is mm -hmm. not a good bad movie. Uh, it had the potential to be a good, bad movie. Uh, I think with um, different writing, I think with some character changes with Bobcat's character, uh, and I think with uh, more interesting ancillary cast. Beyond. So some thought. They would yeah. have had to think. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Instead of just I'm writing. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be no, nice. Like, analytical. <laughs> but... No, it, it's it's not a good movie. I think you have to be high or like drunk to like enjoy parts of it. Um, but I would not watch it again. Uh, and if I gave it a score out of 10, it would be uh, a 1.5 or two. But yeah, nah, best part of that movie for me was damn near at the beginning when <laughs> steps and she's like ah son of a bitch <laughs> just I, and she Danny Cole was awesome like, in this he's like nah fuck it let's keep going let's oh, fuck God. when he hands the piece of paper to him and he's 
marked out $500 for his half of the business and puts down 525. And then he says, uh, that's cash, mostly cash. (laughs) (laughs) He was, he tried so hard with this character. He really gave it his all. Oh shit. (laughs) Well, Jeff, what say you? Uh, I'm a terrible person and I like love the thing with the thing with a good, bad movie for me is that it's truly so like you're laughing more at the choices they made and why they exist Mm. than you are at the jokes themselves, which makes this movie hilarious when you're outlandishly stoned. You're like, what, why did you do that? What is the point of this? Uh, That, that delights me to no end for some reason. So I'm I'm still I'm still in the good bad camp, despite the obvious flaws. So like I have talked about this movie for years to yeah. anybody who'll listen, despite having not seen it since I was like 10, 11 years old. Right. Um, and so like when we when we brought up last week or we last episode, I it's like I I love this movie, but I realized in retrospect I watched it with like the eyes of a child. And when I watched right. it through the eyes of a stoner once and then watch it through stone sober the next time, I've had to rethink my position on this. And I have to, especially from having this very intense conversation where I feel like we've touched on a lot of really interesting points. This is a bad, bad movie. This is not a good, bad movie. If I believed for a second that you were mind changed and you weren't going to vote against me no matter what, uh, I would I would say bravo, but I don't believe this. This is a heel turn. Well, this is this is me <laughs> having gotten a heel through turn. this conversation. I think Lando made a lot of excellent points today. Of course, it got me thinking very much about my relationship with this movie, and I right. I can no longer say I love this movie. Not even with the great Gilbert Gottfried cameo at the end as oh. the dentist doing. I mean, you talk about. Yeah. About comedians with funny voices the two weirdest voices in the game tops. were like in that movie it's crazy and like that scene was that scene was the thing like i have to no i have to say like i realized that there's so much more wrong with this film that negates what i liked about it as a child and that doesn't hold up as much as adult are there parts of this film where i laughed yes absolutely but far fewer than i would have expected and far fewer than when I picked uh, my pick from the previous one for Bucky Larson, Born to Be a Star, where I laughed far more at that one than I did at this I, one. I truly don't understand that. Well, we did but a whole episode on it, Jeff. You can go back and listen. I still don't get it. You I can still go back don't and listen to the episode if you want. I still, I could a million times and still not understand why that was funny. Well, I think we've uh, we've gotten our answer. Uh, hot trot, bad, bad movie. You know, I think the lesson here, I mean, we both came into this with a nostalgic tent. For sure. Right? Where we just like didn't really understand the levels of stupidity this thing really cranked out. So we came into this thing excited, Mm -hmm. not so excited. I think the thing we learned is when you dabble in truly terrible sophomoric nonsense, you are destined to lose. I think so that's like a, this that's little this little vengeance war we're having, whoa, I'm hoping whoa, whoa. that at some point oh, we sort on. of arc back toward like trying to find movies that are that are bad, but also like fun instead of bad and truly just about stepping in dog shit and goat blowjobs. Well, I'm glad that we we seem to have come to an agreement on this type of film because my pick for uh, our next episode oh, has nothing to do with horses or 80s comedies it's not even a film from that period it's actually a film from uh from the 2010s uh, okay going uh going drama on this okay now jeff how do you feel about gangster movies i have deep-seated feelings about them uh but too long to share here hmm. i'm trepidatious 
but I'm also just trepidatious because I know this is going to be a revenge pick. Go ahead. Well, we're going to have a whole episode to talk about gangster movies as uh-huh. we watch 2018's Gotti, starring John Travolta as John Gotti. I've never been more excited to watch a piece of shit in my life. I didn't know this existed. Oh, yeah. This is real. You're not, not only, just make, this isn't just hilarious. Oh, no, watch like the Scientology one or something. No, no, right? not only is this real, man, this we is not, real. We're he not played doing, John Gotti. He, hey, John Gotti. He he played John Gotti in a movie called Gotti that is based on John no. Gotti Jr.'s self published memoir. No. It's about Junior. No, Derek Jr.'s Junior wrote this memoir of his, of his about dad, about his dad, and uh, it's directed okay. by. Kevin Connolly of Entourage. Oh boy. I I gotta tell you, you keep trying, you're you're trying to to hard sell how miserable I'm gonna be. And I'm just I'm I'm giving you the the opposite vibe. This is gonna be great. Well, Jeff, here's the thing: I'm not trying to do any vengeance on you, but I am winning this competition so far, uh, two sure. zero. So yeah. Maybe uh, uh, two maybe, and one. We did say that we have to count ties. Okay, yeah, a tie. Uh, yeah, t, two oh and one. Exactly, a tie is a tie. That's still not a win in either of our categories. No, I understand. So I'm man. still winning. So maybe you should think less about my intentions behind these, and maybe realize that I have a strategy to win this. You don't thing. have a strategy. You don't have a, you. That's not a strategy. The strategy is you pick the guests. Okay. Well, if you want to book some guests, you go right ahead, sir. I'd love to see. Yeah, well, I, I would have to explore connections I don't have. Okay. Mm. Is that what you want me to admit on air that nobody cares who I am? I'll let you book at least one guest this season. You can book one guest this season. How about that? Okay, I'll book a guest this season. Book a guest guess. this season. And I don't we'll even have. I don't even have to pick the movie. I don't we'll even have to pick. And the we'll movie. see how I'll your little the theory. Guest. We'll see how your little theory works out. Of I like it. It's on. See you next time, everybody. Got it. Got it. It's the Cabbages Podcast Network.